Um, the 2nd of October, we're hoping to get everything all organized for, for that. That'll be our first week of growth groups. Um, and so, gee, that is quicker than I thought. I was supposed to have sign-up sheets today. <laughs> so uh, I'll put a blank piece of paper on the board down there, and if you want to be in a growth group, put your name on it, and uh, we'll let you know what the, uh, what the growth groups are. Um, it'll prob we'll plan to have one online. Um, Lewis will be leading one online. We're looking to have one over on the east side of town, and the, uh, probably on a Tuesday night, and uh, the Sunday group. Uh, Ron and Curtis will be leading a Sunday group, uh, Sunday afternoon, I think. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in any of those, and, and we really do encourage people to participate in those. We, we believe as leaders that they're a great way for people to build relationships and uh, have conversations about spiritual topics that we're not able to do even uh, in a Bible class you know, with a group of you know, 25, 30 people. Um, but the small groups of 10 to 15, uh, it's over a, this one will probably run for a couple of months, October and November, um, just allow some relationships to be developed. So a great opportunity to meet new people and uh, to, to learn uh, from them and to encourage them. Uh, the, the other thing I just want to let you know is appreciate, personally appreciate all the, the prayers and uh, uh, we've had cards and, and some gifts for Julie who's been having her back problems. Uh, one, I think on Wednesday and maybe in the prayer list I let people know that she had a fractured vertebrae. Turns out it wasn't a fact fractured vertebrae. <laughs> so they've had trouble pinning it down but uh, she has had a rod in her back for a long time and it was the rod that was fractured. Um, but apparently they can't say whether that caused the muscle spasms or not, or when it fractured or anything. So she's uh, doing much better, which is the main thing, and uh, uh, appreciate the, all of those who've, who've reached out. All right, let's uh, get into our text for today. I hope you found the exercise, the uh, devotional exercise that we we look, uh, had available last week. I think there were still a couple of sheets of that available downstairs. Uh, I hope you found that helpful uh, throughout this week as you personalize that section in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then um, we're able to pray that passage over the course of the week. So uh, last week was our first week in chapter 1 of uh, 1 Timothy, and we're going to be doing 1 Timothy and then 2 Timothy, and that'll pretty much fill in between now and Thanksgiving. And we'll do, we'll cover one chapter a week. And the, the, this schedule means that we are not able to dwell on every verse. I know some preachers, I've, I've, I've been in, in your seat when a uh, preacher has said, we're going to study a particular book of the Bible, and they go through it verse by verse, right? And so you may get a sermon that, that covers a verse, and so it could take three months to get through a chapter. Um, and so I generally don't, my philosophy of preaching and of the purpose of sermons isn't to go through verse by verse. Um, we, we do a much better job of that in Bible classes, I think. But as we do chapter by chapter, one of the 
the struggles we have then is to say, well, we're just going to pick one part out of the chapter. And so we, we skip over or we miss out on some of the verses. And I mean, that's, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, because we're still studying God's Word. And there are some topics, there are some verses that are complex, that sermon just isn't a great way of addressing them. Uh, they're better off in a, a Bible class or to take a, a, a sermon series and say, we're going to spend this series looking at this uh, topic. Uh, sometimes taking five minutes to discuss a topic that's raised in a particular verse uh, does more harm than good because it's at least a 45-minute conversation rather than a five-minute introduction. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's a short chapter. It's most famous for its opening and its ending. It opens with an instruction to pray for kings and rulers. And uh, you may, if you've been around church for a while, you've maybe heard that um, sentiment. It closes the chapter with instructions on the role of women in the church. Um, and that, those last verses have received a lot of attention over the years. Um, as such, it's not my intention today to spend uh, very much time at all on verses 11 to 15, as interesting as that particular topic is. I'll, I'll tell you why. In my reading this week, I came across a list of 10 different interpretations and applications of verse 12. Okay? So we could spend the whole sermon going through those 10 uh, different applications of verse 12, and we could evaluate them and uh, you know, give our pros and cons for each of them. But if we did that, we would be focused on one very specific topic and we would miss out on the, the bigger picture of the chapter. And, and that ten list of ten is probably not a complete list. Uh, we could probably add some others to it. But I will say, if those verses are verses, uh, verses 11 through 15, are verses that uh, you want to talk about, I'm not running away from them. And so if you want to talk with me, if you want to have resources and want to study that further, I'm more than happy uh, to do so, uh, but just not as a sermon topic this week while we're doing a survey of First Timothy. All right, that's a lot of fine print, if you will, at the beginning of a sermon. I, I actually want to begin today's sermon, if you have your Bible there, in First uh, Timothy at the end of chapter 1. And we're going to read here just verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, to be taught not to blaspheme. Often, I think when we read scripture, and particularly a, a book like uh, 1 Timothy, 
where it seems to move from one topic to another and jump through. I think that there's a, a temptation for us to read it like a handbook that's written to answer our questions. So I have a book with me this morning to give you an example. It's called, uh, it was given to me a few years ago, it's called Show Me How. Okay? And, and it's great because there's very few words, but it has um, lots, of, lots of pictures. You know, so if you, you know, here's a page showing you all sorts of different emojis, for those of you that like to use emojis when you send a text message. Um, or if somebody sent one to you and you don't know what it is. Um, but, but this book is, is great. Uh, show me how 500 things you should know. Instructions for life from the everyday to the exotic. It covers things from how to knit to how to shave to how to grow an avocado tree, how to do makeup to look like a zombie, and important for everyone, how to get out of quicksand. It covers everything. Okay. And, and so the way we would use that is we say, oh, necktie. Well, maybe I'd look it up in the index and see if this book's going to tell me, right? And, and so sometimes we come to the Bible and we say, oh, I've got a question. Let me go look up the how-to in the Bible and see what it says. And we treat the Bible in the same way as we would treat this book. But these verses here at the end of chapter 1 remind us that the Bible isn't written like this. The Bible is written, uh, in this case, from one person to another. Paul is writing to his good friend, Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy to keep preaching that somewhere in his past it had been prophesied about Timothy, that he would be a teacher, that he would be a leader in the church. He's saying, live up to that. And don't be discouraged when you run into difficulties. Don't lose your faith. Don't, don't let your faith be shipwrecked. And then he's able to point to some other people, some people that Timothy knows that, that probably have been leaders in that church there in Ephesus that he's working with. And he says, look at them for examples of people who, who have gone astray, perhaps have fallen into the false teaching that he talked about in chapter 1. And so Paul says, I've handed those guys over to Satan so that they can be taught, not because they're destined for eternal damnation, but so they can be taught not to blaspheme. So whatever they were doing was speaking against Jesus, speaking against who Christ was and what he had done. And so we're reminded that Paul has sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus, a church that he knew and that he loved uh, because of the problems that exist there. So Paul is sitting down and going, oh, I need to teach a young preacher. Okay? Timothy is somebody that he has left in Ephesus for a specific purpose. He gets down the road a bit and he says, I want to write back to Timothy and, and tell him how to handle the situations that I know he's going to confront. Okay? And then we get to come along and read over his shoulder. 
because we're going to confront some similar situations like that. And so we can benefit from it. But Paul isn't writing a manual for us. He's telling Timothy how to address problems in the church in Ephesus. And so as we turn to chapter 2, it begins, as I, I mentioned before, by telling the church in Ephesus to pray for all people. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, including for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And I can think of a couple of reasons for Paul to include this instruction. The first is because Christianity came out of a Jewish context. Right? The first Christians were Jews. And the Jews were monotheists. It made them unique in the Roman Empire. Everyone else was happy to just have, they might have a primary god, but they were happy to have as many gods as it would be beneficial for them. The more gods, generally speaking, the more beneficial it would be, right? And, and so the Jews stood apart. Now, one of the gods within the Roman Empire, in fact, an important god within the Roman Empire, was Caesar himself. And, and it was expected that the people, the, the citizens of the Roman Empire, would worship Caesar. And so that's part of the reason that we see the statues of Caesar around the place. But there were festivals, and, and emperor worship was very much a part of the culture of the time. If you didn't participate in this emperor worship, of, of, of worshipping Caesar, then you were not just you know, a bad religious person, you were unpatriotic to the empire. Right? This was one of the things that kept the empire together, was worshipping the same God, worshipping Caesar. And so the Jews have a problem. They can't worship Caesar. And, and so the, the that they were just not going to get anywhere with the Jews on this point. And so they came to a compromise. They said, okay, we won't make you pray to Caesar as long as you pray for Caesar. Okay? We won't make you pray to Caesar as long as you pray for Caesar. And so that worked out pretty well. The Jews are like, yeah, we can do that. Right? I don't know if they prayed for his destruction and, uh, or if they prayed for his well-being. But they prayed for him one way or another. And so when, when Paul went to the church, I, I think this is part of what he's saying. is Just because you're Christians, don't give up on this. Continue to invest in the society in which you find yourself. Uh, continue to pray for Caesar. Because if you don't, if you say, we're monotheists, but we're not going to pray for Caesar, part of what's going to happen is you're just asking for trouble. Right? You don't need to go looking for trouble 
if you're a Christian. Right? That's not going to be conducive to uh, life in Christ, life in the kingdom. It's not going to be conducive to allowing you to carry out your mission in the kingdom. And so just on a pragmatic, political sense, pray for those in authority. Pray for all people, including those in authority. Okay, So I think there's the, uh, the two reasons that we have up there. The second one, though, uh, point to notice, as you read down just through verses 1 through 7, is how all shows up. Pray for all people. And so, in Ephesus, uh, but there, there seems a sense here that Paul, as he begins to address the issues confronting that Timothy will confront in Ephesus, is, is this need to, to look bigger than they're accustomed. Right? Pray for not just your own well-being. Okay? Don't just pray for your favorite politicians or your local you know, politicians. Don't, he's, he's, God wants all people, not just your friends and your family. God wants all to be saved. And so there's this bigger picture of how God is at work in the world. And so sometimes I think our, our instinct is to uh, draw, right? How do we usually pray? Dear God, i got some things I want you to do for me. What's next? Dear God, i got some family members I'm concerned about. Dear God, there's somebody who's I don't remember her name, but she's got something going on. It was announced on Sunday. Can you fix it for her? Dear God, our city is going through a hard time. Can you solve that? Okay, and we work our way out from ourselves. I think that's a pretty natural kind of thing to do. But when Paul begins, he says, no, what I want to do is I want to set a scenario where we pray for all people. Right? And, and you're going, I don't even know how to do that. Well, maybe we need to spend more time thinking about what Paul has to say then. How do we pray for all people? Then he narrows it down. He says, I want to include in that all those in authority. And his purpose for doing that is so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So that we can have freedom of religion. So that the kingdom of God can expand and the work of the kingdom can be carried out. Not just because I like peace. Okay? And, and, and we get that sense because he, he comes down and he, he says in, about who God is that God wants all people to be saved. You see, this is not a, a um, prayer just for the well-being of the nation. It's not a prayer for the well-being of the Roman Empire that we may, the Roman Empire may expand and conquer the whole world. But rather, it's a prayer for the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God may expand and conquer the whole world because God wants all people 
to be saved. Um, in verse 6, in fact, I didn't even put this one up there. Who gave, Jesus talking about Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Right? So, so Jesus died for all people and God wants all people to be saved. So, so there's another one to slip in there. We get this, you, you get the sense of what Paul's talking about? Yeah, we want to focus and say, oh, Yep, we did that this Sunday. Right? But, but it, it, what Paul's saying is, no, what, what's going on? Why do we do that? We do it because God cares for all people. He wants, Jesus died for all people. God wants all people to be saved. This is a really strong sort of missional passage. They're saying we need to care for those around us. And having stability in our society facilitates the church being able to carry out its mission. And so if we're just praying for our leaders and praying for stability in our society, but we're not concerned about the mission, we're not concerned about the salvation of all people, we're not concerned about Christ dying for all people, that giving himself as ransom for all people, then we're missing the point of the prayer. And so that's where Paul begins. By saying, I know you've got stuff going on there in Ephesus. I know there's issues for you to deal with. But I want to begin by opening your eyes to the horizons and looking at all people. Look at the big picture. But I like when in the middle Paul pauses because he wants to make sure that everyone has their focus Correct. Okay. He says, don't pray to Caesar, pray for Caesar. But it's so often. We see that here. There's only one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So he's saying we're still monotheists, just like the Jews are. Okay. The Lord, our Lord, is one God. And, and, but he says, we also, unlike the Jews, we also have one mediator. That is Jesus. And so he's, he's saying Christians are different. Christians are not like the Romans because we only have one God. Christians are not like the Jews because this ha we have this one mediator. It's not Moses who's our mediator. It's not Elijah who's our mediator. Jesus is our mediator. And Jesus gave himself as a ransom People, so he just inserts gospel into the conversation, right? And, and I, I love the way that Paul does that. It's like this good news, it's just so much that whatever I'm going to get back to Jesus because of all that Jesus has done for me and how much he means to me. Caesar is not God, Caesar is not the Son of God, Caesar is not the go between for God. And humanity. One God, one mediator, one person who gave himself as a ransom for all. And so this is the gospel, and it's actually subversive to the empire. You see, on the one hand, you think, oh, we're praying for the rulers, we're praying for those in authority and the leaders, and you think, oh, that's good, like we want them to prosper and succeed. On the other hand, everything the church is doing undermines the, the fabric 
of that empire. The church is subversive. The kingdom is subversive to the kingdoms of men. And then we come in verse 8 to a change of topic. We come to the, the next problem that uh, Paul thinks that Timothy is going to run into. He says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up hands without anger or disputing. Now, this is actually, I know what it says, but, but it's actually not about prayer. Okay? The, the point here is about the anger and the disputing. All right? I want you to worship. I want you to pray without anger and disputing. It seems the conflict in the church had become so strong that their gatherings, um, at their gatherings, that, that some of the guys were having arguments in the parking lot. And then walking into worship. Now, none of us have ever done this, right? None of us have ever had an argument on the way to church. And then walked in to, uh, walked in the doors, put up. Nothing wrong in the world. Right? I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Okay? Just adjust your halo a little if it applies to you. Right? And, 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 but this was not just, oh, we're running late. You know, you took too long making your coffee. Can't you go one morning without coffee? You know, like, would be there on time if you did. Like, it's not that kind of argument. If we go back to chapter 1, we see there in verse um, 4. Well, let me start in verse 3. I urge you, the men of the Macedonia, stay in Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. Okay? So, so there are these teachings taking place in this church. There's myths. There's this fussing about genealogies, whatever that exactly might mean. And people are getting mad with each other. And then they want to pray to God. They want to do church. They want to come before the throne of God. And Paul... He's saying, the reason I'm telling you this is because there are men there who are praying while they're angry and disputing. And... and and so he's saying that's not how it should be. That this isn't what the church, what the kingdom is supposed to be about. Paul says, your anger, your arguing is interfering with your prayer and with your worship. And, and there are other passages we might think, 1 Corinthians um, 11 Right When we think of that, we think of the um, instructions regarding the Lord's Supper, don't we? And, and how they're coming together to have the Lord's Supper, but because of the way they were doing it, because of the division that they were putting within themselves, they're, they're, you know, with the rich here and the poor there, that division makes their Lord's Supper celebration uh, null and void. But if we... Uh, to the women, he says, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. And so he's saying for, for these women who are, are praying 
and in, in the assembly, he says, if you're doing it in a disrespectful manner, it makes that null and void. And so now in, in 1 Timothy, he says, for the man, if you're doing this in a disrespectful manner, the conflict takes away from what you do. You don't get points for doing the right thing when you have this conflict in your hearts and conflict going on in the body. And we could go back to the Old Testament. We could look at Hosea. We could look at Amos. We could look at these passages where he's saying, I reject your sacrifices. They brought their sacrifices to the temple. They're, they're making their sacrifices. And, and, and he says, well, but you're just doing that to do it. You're not doing it because you love me. You're not doing it because you care about me. We, we heard on, on um, was it last Sunday in, in Jeremiah? Jer no, Jeremiah. Um, where they're you know, coming and making their sacrifice at the temple and then going, and, and going up the hill and making their sacrifice to the false god, uh, to the idol at the top of the hill. And, and, and so it, it's the same sort of thing that, that it, God says, I want your attention, I want your focus, I want your heart, I want your behavior, your attitude to, to embody who I am. I don't want you just doing these things that you think are the right things to do while you don't care about these more important issues of, of who you are as people and who I am as God. And then he continues for the women in Ephesus. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, propriety adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And so Paul... He says, don't decorate yourselves with fancy clothes. Rather, decorate yourself with good deeds. In your interactions to one another, in your interactions with your neighbors. He says, it's this, this good deeds, the way you interact with people around you, this is more important when you come to worship than your Sunday best. Is. And then in verse 11, he instructs the women that they should be teachable and committed to learning the teaching of the apostles. And, and I, I want to think that in a society that didn't particularly value female education, that this emphasis on the Christian women being included as students may well have seemed quite radical at the time. But again, we, we come back to the same point. Where men, and, and, and we have to understand that these examples of men and women, they may have been specific to Ephesus. They may just be like stereotypes, caricatures of saying, men, you know, you're all macho and you're fighting and you're you know, showing who's stronger and more powerful and who's got it right and who's got it wrong and you know, that's going on with you. And, and then for the ladies, you know, a, a caricature, a, a stereotype might be, oh, you're just all worried about your appearance and you spend all those hours in front of the mirror or doing your hair or whatever it is. And then what he's saying is none of those things should matter and should interfere and should impose on our worship. This is our time to honor God, to encourage one another. And, and so we find so many different ways to distract ourselves, don't we? Whether it be concerning ourselves on how we appear, on how we look, 
or whether we're right or whether we're wrong. We allow these things to put divisions between us. Verse 10 says, the appropriate way to worship God is through good deeds, through the way that we live. Has God really changed our lives? Is God making us, transforming us into his image? Is God making us different from who we were? Have we been born again? Are we someone different than we were before we Christ? Or have we just... And we're, I've been wearing pearls since I was five years old. I've been, I've been. And we, we fail and learn and worship God. If we're not concerned about the all people that Christ died to ransom, if we're not concerned that God wants all if we're not concerned about one another, if we would rather have an argument than win an argument than concede and maintain a relationship, then that's not worship doesn't matter how many songs you sing, how much scripture you read, how, how much time you spend in, in the pew on a Sunday morning. It does, none of that matters when we've got these character issues unaddressed going on underneath. And so as we, we look at 1 Timothy 2, we find ourselves reminded of two things. God wants all people to be saved. Now think about this just for a moment for ourselves. God wants us to be saved. Right? And I think that sometimes we, we, we go, oh, <laughs> right? Like, like it's uphill. Right? Sometimes that's our perspective of God, that he's up there and, and he's just waiting for us to do something wrong. Up oh, there goes it. Right? And, and so this is so important, that Christ died to ransom everyone, that God wants all to be saved. He's looking for reasons to save us rather than exclude us. I, I think that's just such an important perspective for us to have. God wants people, though, not just us to be saved, but people who aren't here this morning to be saved. And maybe we, we pray for the rulers in our community, but do we pray for the spread of God's kingdom? Do we pray for revival? The second point or lesson just don't go through the motions of worship. Don't go through the motions of worship. You see, worship isn't about getting it right. Worship 
is about our relationship with God. Don't go through the motions of praying for the government and then doing nothing about sharing the gospel with others. Don't go through the motions of praying while you're mad at somebody else in the room. Don't go through the Put your worship into motion by serving those around you. There's a big difference, isn't there, between going through the motions and putting worship into motion. And that's what Paul is looking for in the church in Ephesus. Worship that pleases God is about relationship that we have with God. God doesn't care. Is that? He doesn't care if we can't pronounce some of the words in the Bible reading. He doesn't care if we can't remember which particular verse it is off the top of our head. He cares that we want to read Scripture. He cares that we want to know Him. He cares that our heart wants to sing. And so I wonder today, how is your heart? How is your worship? Did you spend more time getting dressed today? Did you spend more time wondering if that person that irritates you is going to be here today? Did those things occupy more than you spent reflecting on why you're coming to worship? How's your heart? How's your worship? Where's your focus? I want to close with just the verse from last week. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith.